The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member. And we don't mean your Aunt Dolores. You stink! The TNT Shop has it all at tntradio.live. Cutting through the clutter, this is the Misty Winston Show on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Well, hey there, and welcome to the Misty Winston Show right here on today's News Talk. Thank you, as always, for tuning in to hang out with me. Happy Friday to you. Uh, we made it through another week of chaos, um, and <laughs> there's so much going on. I am uh, uh, genuinely um, amused with all of the... What we, we've talked about the Tucker Carlson, the ridiculousness of everybody throwing a tantrum about that. We'll talk about that here in just a second. But there's just a whole lot of... Um, unnecessary drama going on this week it feels like i mean maybe it's no different maybe i'm just being impacted by it more this week for some reason but it's just exhausting i think i'm going to take the weekend off of social media and everything and just chill with my kids uh and detox (laughs) i think maybe that's what i need okay listen let's talk about what we have coming up next week uh we have a jam-packed week of shows so on monday we have gabriel shipton who if you don't know is julian assange's brother um obviously we have the hearings coming up on the 20th and 21st in london so uh, i wanted to get gabriel in for um a a conversation about that um so that'll be on monday on tuesday we have journalist danny shaw he was just recently in Haiti. Um, there are a, there, uh, the tensions there have been escalating once again. Um, there's a whole lot going on, not really getting talked about a lot, obviously not mainstream media, but really nobody's talking about it much. So, uh, Danny's going to come on and talk about his experience there on Wednesday. We have my friend, Amber King from Roar Media. Um, she actually, uh, helped me. Uh, she was like my co MC at the, um, the huge October, uh, of 2020, two <laughs> Assange rally that we did in Washington, D.C. Uh, that was the big one that we had um, uh, that was uh, thousands of people. It was so fun. Um, on Thursday, we have Kim Staten, who is the uh, director of The Trust Fall, which is the new documentary out um, about Julian Assange. Uh, TNT is very graciously hosting the London premiere, uh, which we talked about a little bit yesterday. So Kim's going to be on on Thursday to talk about that. Um, and then Friday, we have uh, incredible independent journalist Mohamed Almazi, who is going to be covering the the Assange hearings uh, in London on the 20th and 21st for Kevin Gastola's The Dissenter. Um, So uh, great week of shows next week. Definitely uh, don't miss a minute of it. 5 p.m. Eastern right here on today's News Talk. Okay, so I promised we would talk a little bit about Tucker Carlson and Vladimir Putin um, because I've been (laughs) talking about it all this week as as the the anticipation was building. Everybody was freaking out. Uh, Liberals were calling Tucker Carlson a traitor and likening this to treason. I mean, that was all very amusing, but the interview itself was pretty much what I expected. Um, Tucker Carlson was weak, uh, pretty soft, um, which is generally how he operates. Um, I was very disappointed in his questioning and stuff like that, but not surprised at all. It was very much what I expected of Tucker Carlson. I think Putin... um, Came across very well, generally speaking. Uh, I mean, he, <laughs> I think the biggest thing here, and honestly, I think that the more I uh, I ponder this, I think that the biggest reason why liberals were freaking out so hard and trying to um, uh, discredit Tucker Carlson, discredit this interview, turn people off from watching it, is because Joe Biden is a hot mess. Um, and in comparison, I mean, listen, Vladimir Putin, period, is a very highly intelligent man, very well spoken. He knows his stuff. He is um, like him, love him, hate him, doesn't matter. You cannot deny that he is incredibly intelligent, very articulate, um, you know, is a a great speaker. He's all of those things. And he that's 
Joe Biden is not any of those things. <laughs> so I think that the the stark contrast uh, between Putin and Biden this week is um, it's really just they can't avoid it. And I've been saying since the day that Joe Biden announced that he was running for re-election that he was absolutely not going to be the eventual nominee. And I stand by that 100,000% today after watching, not that Putin's interview necessarily has any um, uh, any impact on who's going to be the nominee, but I think that it really just puts it into sharp relief how bad Joe Biden really is. Um, uh, he is, uh, it, it, I, I just don't, there's absolutely no way they can put him on any debate stage ever with anybody. I mean, a ham sandwich could out-debate Joe Biden. My 13-year-old daughter could out-debate Joe Biden at this point. I mean, it wouldn't take much for any, it, can you form a coherent sentence? you can probably beat Joe Biden in a debate at this point. So um, I think that that's probably a big part of the reason why. Also, I will say that there were a couple highlights for me anyway, uh, just as somebody that was watching uh, the the Putin interview more as like entertainment and uh, uh, that kind of thing. <laughs> there was a couple different times where uh, Putin called out Tucker for his CIA connections. And that made me giggle. It was pretty funny. There was one in particular where um, Tucker said, who blew up Nord Stream? And Putin said, you, for sure. And Tucker said, I was busy that day. And Putin said, you personally may have an alibi, but the CIA has no such alibi. And then Tucker said, wouldn't you present evidence and win a propaganda victory? And Putin said, in the war of propaganda, it is very difficult to defeat the U.S. because the U.S. controls all the world's media. And he's very right. But I just love the little the little jabs that he was taking at Tucker uh, for the CIA connections made me giggle a little bit. So that was fun. But go watch it for yourself. Obviously, I think everybody should watch it. Uh, Putin is the president of Russia. It's something that you should at least listen to. But listen to it um, skeptically, um, you know, be mindful of the two players involved here uh, but you should you, you should definitely watch it and form your own opinion on that for sure okay uh don't forget you can follow me over on the tweeters at sarcasm stardust check out the substack mistywinston.substack.com write it for the guest of the day every day so that you can find follow and support their work as well and if you would like you can shoot me an email mistywinston at tntradio.live guest idea show idea whatever hit me up um and it is um <laughs> it's um what we call false uh false spring here in ohio um that always makes me think of protesting because it's starting to get a little bit warm it's not going to last it's going to be cold next week but it always makes me think of that so uh tnt is great they love activism they love to hype activism so if you have an upcoming community event rally march festival fundraiser and you could do with some free publicity TNT definitely wants to promote it for you. You can visit the What's On Events calendar on the TNT website. Again, tntradio.live. Uh, submit your event details and we will help you get the word out, helping you make a difference on today's news talk, TNT. Conversations to inform and include. It's meant for everyday people to understand. Today's news talk radio, TNT. Speaking of Joe Biden, <laughs> a badly timed gaffe by U.S. President Joe Biden during an address on Thursday night turned a meme into reality, according to users on Egyptian, Egyptian social media. Oh, it's so embarrassing. Here with the story, joining me now is TNT News producer Adam Clark, a.k.a. Ruckus. So what is crazy Grandpa Joe up to today, Adam? Well, this is kind of interesting because uh, the the crazy Grandpa Joe is one thing, but ironically enough, coincidentally enough, uh, it made a long-standing, long-running joke uh, in Egypt uh, turn into reality, unbeknownst to well, most of us out here. Uh, so this was very fun. This is an interesting story. Um, sad that you know the president is clearly having some cognitive issues, but uh, it is what it is. Uh, during a press conference at the White House. 
House uh, that was meant to refute claims, ironically enough, in a report that he was losing his memory. Biden <laughs> lost his memory, uh, if you can believe it. Uh, he mistakenly referred to Egypt's president, Abdel Fattah el-Sisi, as the president of Mexico. Yep. Plenty of memes on our side about that. I saw a reworking of the Middle East map that included Mexico right there, tucked up uh, where Egypt would normally be. Um, here's what the president said, quote, blah, blah, blah. as you know, initially, the president of Mexico, CC, did not want to open up the gate to allow humanitarian material to get into Gaza. <laughs> I talked to him. I convinced him to open the gate, end quote. Right. Uh, he also said, quote, I talked to Bibi to open the gate on the Israeli side, referring to um, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. Quote, I've been pushing really hard, really hard to get humanitarian assistance into Gaza, end quote. Yeah. So he made the gaffe. He called the president of Mexico, Sisi. Uh, the comments were made in an unannounced um address aimed at refuting allegations in a scathing report by special counsel Robert Hur, a former Republican lawmaker who basically in his report, this raised concerns about Biden's memory and age and uh, caused the left to just go crazy trying to defend the president, including himself, just making it worse. Um, it's not the first time Biden has mixed up world leaders, world leaders dead and alive, having this week alone claiming to have spoken to Francois Mitterrand, the late president of France, and Helmut Kohl, the late chancellor of Germany, during his diplomatic efforts. The clip of this latest error, however, was quickly shared across social media, including many among Arab and Egyptian social media users who in particular found it to be quite funny because you see in Egypt, Sisi is often referred to as El Mexiki or the Mexican in Arabic. It is a long running joke which originated from some sort of viral video years ago. Uh, in the video, uh, an Egyptian man dedicated a message to the president calling him Abdel Fattah el-Mexiki. Uh, the young man called on el-Mexiki to lower prices and to improve the quality of life in the North African country. Since then, the title has been used widely amongst Egyptian users online, especially in connection to poverty and the cost of living. Um, <clears throat> so one social media user uh, wrote on X, quote, Egypt is a dictatorship ruled by Abdel Fattah el-Sisi. You can't criticize the president freely. So Egyptians started calling him El Mexiki, the Mexican in Arabic, because it sounds like El Sisi, so they can avoid censorship and criticize him freely, end quote. Uh, so now, basically, since for a while now, they've been referring to uh, their president as the Mexican. And then our president basically did the same thing. They, they all think it's hilarious. Uh, and I do, too. It's kind of like it would be like us because we refer to Biden as Brandon sometimes because of the let's go Brandon thing. That would be like another world leader accidentally calling, you know, Joe Biden, Brandon, I guess. So it's kind of funny. But what do you think? It's funny. It's also just ridiculous, right? Like the idea. Okay. I've been, and I'm not alone. I think that there are most people who are paying attention recognize that it does not matter who the president of the United States is. They don't make decisions. They are a puppet on strings. They are nothing more than a figurehead. They are the person that has to sell uh, the agenda to the American people and pretend as if there is some kind of leader, right? There's some kind of leader taking care of everything. Uh, they're not. And I don't know if anything 
could make it more clear that that is the case than the presidency of Joe Biden. I mean, this guy, as I said earlier, is a disaster. He cannot, he can't, they can't put him in front of a camera. They can't. I mean, it, every time they do, literally every time they do, he embarrasses himself in some way, shape, form, or fashion. Whether it's, um, you know, <laughs> talking about having conversations with people who have been dead since 1996, it's a little weird. Um, or mumbling as he looks as a, if he's about to fall asleep in the middle of a meeting with a you know prominent world leader or um, whether he can't find his way off of a stage or he's shaking hands with ghosts or whatever he's doing. It is I, I mean, it could not be more apparent, in my opinion, um, that this guy is in bad shape. And if it were anybody else. If it were just, you know, some elderly person who wasn't Joe Biden, I would feel bad and I would feel angry at the people who are very clearly abusing him. This is elder abuse, in my opinion, what it, what they're doing to him. But it's Joe Biden. So I really don't care. He's a terrible person. I really don't care. I don't care. Um, but it is very clearly elder abuse. There's no question about it. Um, and the, the Mitterrand thing I thought was very interesting because my uh, husband's aunt had uh, dementia. It was awful. It is an awful, awful awful disease. I can't, I, there, I, I personally can't think of anything worse um, to lose your memories and your awareness of who you are. And I mean, she was a brilliant woman, ended up in like diapers and unable to feed herself. It was just really a terrible thing to watch her decline. Um, but there is something in my time um, helping to take care of her. I learned about something called time shifting. Um, and that's essentially when somebody who is dealing with dementia thinks that they're in a earlier part of their life where they'll, they'll, uh, for example, his aunt used to very often, she was a teacher. She used to go back and and, and remember her time as, as a teacher um, and would often talk to me as if I was one of her students or things like that. And that's, I mean, the Mitterrand thing, I, that immediately when he uh, said that, I was like, holy cow, he's time shifting. Holy cow. Like on TV, on national television. And yet, Adam, what I think is funny is that liberals are still pretending it's just a stutter. <laughs> it's crazy. The amount of um, cope that is going on uh, in liberal circles right now, trying to desperately defend Joe Biden. Kareem Jean-Pierre, I don't like her, but she deserves a raise. Trying to deal with all of this, trying to like justify and make sense of Joe Biden and his shenanigans. I mean, she has got a job. Holy cow. I don't know if I could do it, but what do you think, Adam? I think you're right about that time shifting thing. Uh, my grandmother, who was suffered through all this before, it was like a thing and people talked about it. Um, it was quite clear. But she would confuse me all the time with her. Her Sadly, he had passed away rather young while he was still attending um, college to become a doctor, her nephew. So she always thought I was her nephew, although I was her grandson. So she would always call me him by mistake and think I was how how is that? You know, he thought she thought I was a doctor. It was pretty wild. Um, but yeah, this stuff is pretty insane. By the way, I don't know if you caught this, but um, I think Biden may have actually come out and told the truth uh, amidst this whole thing because he was he was defending himself, saying, "Hey, uh, shut up! I'm not an old man. I I know what the hell I'm doing." Is what he said, and in, in his proof to for everyone in case you missed it to, to prove that he knows what the hell he's doing. The proof is that he's president of the United States. Um, you know, I. I'm like, shouldn't it go the other way around? Shouldn't you be the president of the United States because you know what the hell you're doing? Uh, but that was weird. Um, but he told the truth because Peter Ducey somehow actually got a question in and Biden responded. Uh, the question had to do with uh, about the president's memory. And the president responded to Peter Ducey of Fox News is by saying, which I believe is probably the truth coming from Biden. My memory is so bad, I forgot 
I, I let you speak. That's what he said. My memory is so bad. I let you speak, which just proves that what we've always suspected, that Biden is supposed to not take questions from Peter Ducey. Uh, so he forgot yeah. his memory lapsed and, you know, he had a bad lapse of judgment right there and he admitted it. I'm just saying. But, yeah, it's a, it's a terrible state for the country, Misty. Yeah, it is. And the special counsel's report is absolutely scathing. They say in this, I'll just read a, a, a singular sentence. I think it sums it up. Mr. Biden would likely present himself to a jury, as he did during our interview of him, as a sympathetic, well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory. I mean, <laughs> that guy's the president of the United States of America, has access to the nuclear codes. It's Everything's fine, though, guys. It's fine. Uh, vote blue no matter who, right? Crazy. All right, Adam, thanks for bringing us this story. We will talk to you again on Monday. Have a good weekend, my friend. And hang tight. We're going to be right back after this here on today's News Talk. TNT's Bruce DeTorres. The Who's proposed treaty will increase man-made pandemics by Merrill Nass. Just a minute about this. This report is designed to help readers think about some big topics. How to really prevent pandemics and biological warfare. How to assess proposals by the WHO and its members for responding to pandemics. And whether we can rely on our health officials to navigate these areas in ways that make sense and will help the population. populations. We start with the history of biological arms control and rapidly move to the COVID pandemic, eventually arriving at plans to protect the future. She didn't put protect in quotes. But I just did verbally. World Stage and Bruce DeTorres on today's News Talk TNT. I'm Naheem Hines, professional football player and proud supporter of the Muscular Dystrophy Association. My mom was diagnosed with muscular dystrophy when I was 14, and I watched her struggle. But MDA helped her get the best treatments and care, and they also helped kids like my buddy Ethan. My name is Ethan, and I'm 12 years old. Thanks to the Muscular Dystrophy Association and people like you, I have more hope than ever before. From day one, they've treated me like family at my local care center. MDA is the only one that funds over 150 care centers across the U.S. to help provide state-of-the-art care for adults and kids like me. For over 70 years, MDA has been transforming the lives of people living with muscular dystrophy, ALS, and other related neuromuscular diseases. They fund the research for breakthrough treatments, care, and cures. And MDA provides support to thousands of families like mine and Ethan's in communities like yours. Thanks to MDA, kids and adults can live life to its fullest. Join us and learn more at MDA.org today. Our next steps to space. This time we go back to the moon to learn to live, to work, to invent, to create. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right, our guests tonight are Matthew Ho and Kelly Lane. Matthew is a former USMC captain, former State Department officer, and Eisenhower Media Network Associate Director. Kelly is the editor and co-producer of Assange Countdown to Freedom, hosted by my pal Randy Credico. Uh, she's also a board member of Candidates with a Contract and Media Assistant at Audit Elections USA. Together, they recently launched the series Candidates for Assange, which invites people who are running for office at all different levels of government um, to express their support for journalist and publisher Julian Assange. Um, which I love. So thank you both for being here. I appreciate it. Thank Thanks, you for Mr. having us. 
Yeah, of course. Okay, so let's let's dive right into uh, the series because um, I, I think both of you probably know you you both know me personally a, a little bit. Um, I don't care about electoral politics. I don't think that it's a change maker. I don't think that in in a completely corrupted system, I think it's kind of a waste of time. However, I think something like this is an incredible use of um, uh, building that uh, that kind of public pressure for. Assange. I think that um, having these candidates come on and express their support openly puts pressure on, um, you know, other people who are maybe already currently in office um, to come forward and speak publicly about their uh, position on Julian Assange as well. So, Kelly, tell us a little bit about how the two of you came up with this idea, how you decided to go about this. Well, actually, I did this almost five years ago when I was working with a group called Candidates with a Contract. Real exciting name, but it was an anti-corruption contract and it was nonpartisan. And I just decided to throw a panel together of candidates back then. It was probably our best known was Tim Canova, um, Jason Kishinev, and several others, really great candidates. And then I sort of moved into working with Randy's show, which I'm editor and engineer, I guess is the real title. But um and then I just just recently I thought I've got to do something like what else can we do because I hear you about electoral politics but I think we just have to hit this from every angle we can think of and so I thought let's do it again and I just kind of on a whim thought I'd try one panel and Matt said let's go so here we are we've done three and they've been really great candidates but yeah. little, the landscape has changed a bit um Yes. in the candidate pool. <laughs> yeah. It really has, right? I mean, we now have um very open and bipartisan support for Julian Assange, which if you would have told me four years ago that that would be a thing that we have, that we have actual legislation uh, that is on the book, like it's out there. I would have never thought that that was possible because it has definitely changed. And Matt, obviously you were a great choice to kind of um, uh, uh, to co-pilot this situation because you yourself were a candidate for office recently. You have also been a longtime supporter of Julian Assange. Um, so what do you what do you hope, uh, is your kind of hope for this the, the same, along the same lines as mine is that we're going to end up creating that kind of pressure that encourages other uh, elected members of Congress and uh, in other areas of government to uh, to come forward in their support of Assange. Yeah, that's exactly right, Misty. Uh, you know, one of the this idea of normalizing this conversation about Julian Assange, getting people uh, to to take it on, to not be afraid to talk about Julian, to not be afraid to talk about WikiLeaks and then to address these larger First Amendment as well as, you know, uh, Fourth Amendment issues, uh, because you could talk about the, 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 the prosecution and persecution of Julian. Uh, and you have to also talk as well about uh, the loss of, of Fourth Amendment rights in this country, the surveillance, uh, the invasion of privacy, because that goes hand in hand with the type of censorship that will come from a successful uh, prosecution and persecution uh, of, of Julian. Uh, so, you know, that's the idea is, is to normalize this conversation, get people at all levels talking about this, understanding how it impacts everything. One of the things in conversation we had last night with the candidates who, yeah, represented uh, the entire political spectrum. We've had Democrats, Republicans, Greens, Libertarians, Independents. Uh, I guess I think we need some constitutional party people and some socialists, and we'd have it all well rounded out. But, you know, this idea of, of how uh, the issues that uh, we're talking about when we talk about Julian Assange are not limited just to national security, but this threat of censorship, this, uh, you know, abrogation of press freedom will affect 
everything. It will affect our discussions on government at all levels, uh, on conversations on, on the public's right to know about healthcare, about public's right to know about the economy. Uh, I mean, so, uh, you know, uh, all types of, of aspects are involved here, and that's the idea. And then what it also does, too, is it helps the candidates in terms of using their platforms in a, in a manner of public education. Right. So that their campaigns are or have an educational aspect about this. So they're out there talking about something that many voters may not be familiar with. Yeah. And that's I love that because I think that that is certainly going to be a byproduct of this. I think a lot of these candidates, um, which I want to talk about, uh, a, a lot of them have come in saying, well, I'm not an expert on this. I don't know how to talk about this or whatever. And I want to we're going to dive into that aspect of it here in just a bit. But I think that that is uh, going to be a natural byproduct of this. I think as these candidates come on uh, these panels and have these discussions with you, I'm hoping that uh, even those who may feel as if, well, I'm not an expert on this, I can't talk about it. Hopefully this will inspire them to uh, you know learn a little bit more, educate themselves about it, and then uh, as a byproduct of that, educate their constituency. And I think that that's a, a huge uh, a huge bonus there. But I, I And Matthew, you talked a little bit there about the fear <clears throat> to talk about it. And I think that that's what's so interesting, Kelly, about um, uh, the, the, the way that the landscape has changed, because this was really a third rail issue for a very long time, in particular with people who are running for office or people who are currently in uh, office. I think that, that they, they've done a very good job of creating this kind of comic book villain out of Julian. Um, and that's definitely, we've definitely seen a shift away from that. Um, uh, and do you think that that is um, uh, just a byproduct of all of the uh, activism that's been going on the way that we have been able to um, uh, kind of combat that propaganda and, and raise awareness about what the realities of this case are? I think yes and no. Unfortunately, as I said last night, we all kind of, I mean, the whole country operates in silos. People listen to their own little media, whether it's on, you know, corporate media or their own independent media. And so I was a little bit surprised and kind of discouraged at first because I wasn't getting very much response. And then I got responses of that I'm not an expert. But the thing is, the people that have said that have had the most profound things to say. Um, so I just try to encourage them, even if you don't know a lot, you know, hang back and speak at the end if you want. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, I do think the activism has helped, but the Democrats are the hardest to reach. <laughs> and um, yeah, like I had one candidate it was all all for it. And their campaign manager stepped in and said, nope. So that's what I think has changed the most is when I was working with um, CWAC, uh, we had a lot of small D Democrats. They were, and I, I don't know what, what this means now, if it's that people have given up trying to run within the Democratic Party, for the most part, those candidates, you know, like Jason Call was on our second one. That was a great panel with Greens and Libertarians. And he, you know, he's running green now. So maybe... Yeah. That's what I'm dealing with and trying to reach out to Democrats, but they're the hardest to. I to think that that's absolutely what you're dealing with. I think people recognize that the Democratic Party is not uh, uh, very clearly. I mean, especially post Bernie Sanders. I think people mm -hmm. recognize that it is incredibly rigged there. So, OK, um, I want to get into the uh, the not I'm not an expert thing because I get that a lot, too. But we need to take a quick break and get some headlines. Hang tight. We'll be back here on today's News Talk. Now, TNT Radio News. I have huge news. Huge news. 
Are you ready for it? Yeah! Do it! For TNT, this is James O'Neill. During a Thursday evening news conference, President Joe Biden addressed inquiries concerning his memory, which were prompted by comments from Special Counsel Robert Herr. The U.S. Senate proceeded with a $95.3 billion supplemental bill designed to support Israel, Ukraine, the Indo-Pacific region, and tackle the U.S. fentanyl crisis. In a notable interview with Tucker Carlson, Russian President Vladimir Putin offered insights from a distinctly Russian viewpoint on Eastern European history and accused the CIA of sabotaging the Nord Stream pipeline. Are you enjoying listening to TNT Radio? Do you think we're doing a good job? Then please let us know. Why not leave us a like or a positive review or comment on Facebook, Gab, or Getter? Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. All right. We are here joined by Matthew Ho and Kelly Lane. They have uh, joined forces and started uh, a series called Candidates for Assange, where they invite uh, different candidates running for various levels of government um, uh, to come on and talk about their support for Julian Assange and uh, further the free speech and free press. Um, So uh, before we jump into the I'm not an expert thing, because I think that that is incredibly important. um, uh, Just briefly, I wanted to uh, just touch on the fact that uh, or what Kelly just said about Democrats being hard to reach, because I think that that is so um indicative of how tribal our politics are in this country because um i don't know 10 12 years ago julian assange gave a ted talk and in a room full of liberals was given a standing ovation um Mm. and then i think that once he came out with the 2016 leaks uh democrats very quickly soured on him because he dared to uh hurt queen hillary um and i think that's really been kind of the shift that we've noticed there but matthew i mean you've been a supporter of julian assange for a very long time maybe you can speak a little bit to the way that you've seen those kind of shifting demographics because um, I, I, I've experienced that myself where it used to be, uh, that free speech and press freedom was a very solidly sort of leftist issue. Right. It was very easy to get leftists on board for that. And now it seems very different. And, uh, it's usually more my more, uh, right-leaning friends or my libertarian friends who are instant supporters of Assange. Right. You see that quite a bit, uh, Misty. Um, and that shift I think has been, uh, very dramatic. And I, I think ultimately it comes down to this idea that there's a cost to loyalty, Right there's a cost to party loyalty. There's a cost to partisan politics or this type of sports team mentality that many people have, and when that cost of that loyalty is that uh, you are gonna you're gonna lose your own independent thinking. You're gonna give up the idea of critically thinking, uh, and your thinking is gonna be dumb for you, and you are just gonna follow whichever way uh, your party leads you. And, and I think we've seen that quite a bit with with with, uh, with with Julian's case. And I'm sure everyone who's watching and listening can bring up a half dozen other examples of, of, of the same type of phenomenon. Uh, and so you do, you see this where, um, and this gets back to this idea of being afraid to talk about Julian. And in the case of say that one candidate that Kelly was talking about who agreed to come on and then the campaign manager spoke, well, obviously the candidate had an idea about this and res- it resonated with with him or her. And this idea of like, hey, I agree with what these people in this, this program are going to be doing. And the campaign manager said, nope, can't do it. This is off bounds. It's not in the list of approved things. You're going to get yourself in trouble, you know, whatever the reasons were. But you, you, you see that, that this, this um, you know, forfeiture of independence and this forfeiture of, of conscience of, uh, you know, critical thought of, you know, and it's just really an abrogation of any type of intellectual honesty. 
And ultimately, that's what this all comes back to, though. So it makes sense, right? Because if anything, what was uh, Julian's work about? What was the work of WikiLeaks about? It's about honesty. Honestly, it's about transparency. It's about letting people know what their governments are doing. So this idea that people are afraid to talk about it, that they're, quote, not allowed to, unquote, talk about it, it fits hand in glove with this, because ultimately this is about issues of transparency, uh, uh, honesty, and the public's right to know. Yes, 100%. And I've run into similar situations uh, with candidates. Uh, uh, one of them was a, uh, a pretty well-known Twitter example. I won't name them because it's not, I'm not trying to call anybody out, but it's, I've had that happen before where I've uh, contact, uh, contacted somebody who's running for office and been like, hey, we would really appreciate your support. And they're like, yeah, totally. I support 100. And then, uh, you know, within a couple of hours, they've had a talking to and suddenly uh, they ghost you and they no longer want to uh, partake in, <laughs> in your venture. So yeah, yeah, that's right, definitely right. something that I have a lot of uh, some experience with myself. Um, okay, but Kelly, let's talk about um, the I'm not an expert thing because I run into this all the time. And I think that you addressed this very well last night on the panel where um, a couple different people that you had on last night were like, you know, you asked me, but I don't really know much. I don't know what I can add to the conversation. And I deal with this all the time. I think people, it is, I mean, it's over a decade of stuff, right? It's a I mean, it's both very complex and incredibly simple at the same time, right? I mean, it's a journalist who's being persecuted for publishing the truth. That's the simple part of it. But there's so many, um, uh, there's such a weave, uh, a web that's been weaved of um, all of these uh, accusations and propaganda and the smear campaign and all of these things. As I said earlier, they've created this comic book villain out of Julian. Um, and I think that that uh, it kind of overwhelms people because there is a great deal of information um, uh, with any, any situation that has been going on for 12, 13 years, right? Um, but people don't need to be an expert, right, Kelly? You don't have to have know every detail. I mean, listen, I'm very, very, very informed about this case. I wouldn't count myself an expert. Well, I think you are. <laughs> but <clears throat> but I mean, <laughs> but I mean, you're right. It is just so much information. And I think a lot of it, I tried to show last night, I don't know if I did the best job at it, but showing part of the chat log that Paula put in her evidence files, and yeah. when you get start getting into IT things, people really just kind of their eyes glaze over it's because it's complicated, you know, um, hacking and understanding what does a hash mean and all of this. So they can just kind of say he's a hacker and, and that's it and, and leave it at that. And people are like, well, I don't know. I don't know how to decipher this. But um, one of the candidates um, hasn't come on yet, but I hope still will, um, is a Republican in California, also a veteran. And he said to me, well, the same thing. I don't have much to add. I'm afraid I don't have much to add to it. But I can tell you that I was told when I was in the military, we weren't allowed to look at WikiLeaks. And it mm -hmm. made me think immediately of Chris Cuomo. And so I made a clip of that to play <laughs> if and when he comes on, where he tells everyone it's illegal for you to look at WikiLeaks. But I thought, you know, that's great. Just come on and say that one thing that tells you right there how... Like if they have to hide everything, what what are they hiding? Like so, yeah, that's what I run into. But I think those candidates have great things to say. Um, Michael Dublin last night talked about how it wasn't such a stretch for him because to and to understand how someone would be framed and wrongly accused. You know, growing up an African American in the South, I mean, that just wasn't shocking to him. So yeah, I, yeah everyone has something to add. So I hope we can just keep going and well. 
ultimately, I hope they drop the charges on the 20th, right? 21st, right? But right? if not, then we will keep going. And we hope that as each, you know, the more people that speak out, then other people are less fearful to do so. So that's yeah. just the way it works. So we're hoping 100%. that. hundred percent. Yes. Courage is contagious. Uh, that is absolutely 100% true. And listen, even if the charges are dropped on the 20th and the 21st, I've had people ask me this so many times. Well, what are you going to do if Assange gets freed? Well, do you think it stops there? Because it doesn't. The fight for free speech and press freedom will be a forever fight. Like you're going to put on some, you know, comfy shoes and dig in because it's powerful. People do not like their secrets exposed and they are going to continue to fight our ability to expose them. That's just the reality of the situation. As long as we have people in positions of power, we will have to fight with our uh, our right to know and our right to expose them. So um, the fight doesn't end with Assange. I mean, obviously, uh, that is the that's the front line of it. Obviously, I think that saving his life is um, of extreme importance right now. And then also, I think that that is kind of the the first domino in the fight for press freedom. And it's it's when we, in my opinion, we can't afford to lose. Um, but even after that, even after that battle is over, whichever way it goes, uh, it's it's going to continue. Like it's this is a lifetime battle. It's a lifetime fight. And so I think that even those people who don't see themselves as an expert on the Assange case, um, uh, just in general, if you support press freedom and free speech and the right to know and a right to hold power to account, uh, this is a no-brainer issue for any of any any person who supports those things. So we need to take another quick break, but hang tight. We're going to be back here on TNT. De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. I'm sure you've been following Mark Morano and, of course, the climate trial of the century where Dr. Michael Mann was suing Mark Stein. In any case, that is going to the jury. Now, there are a couple of things that have popped up in this trial which are very interesting. First of all, out of the 22 possibilities for this so-called hockey stick, only two of them showed the hockey stick. Both of those were fudging the hockey stick. And what did I mean by fudging? Well, they claim that the medieval warm period did not exist, which if Dr. Mann was actually a meteorologist and looked at the weather, he should know that you can't just have regionalized warming in one area of the world. If it's warm in one area of the world, it's going to be warm in other areas of the world. I think I've explained this before. Now, another thing is that there's some interesting things coming out that may open Dr. Mann up to be sued, especially by Dr. Judith Curry. Now, I've always wondered why Dr. Curry did not go after Michael Mann because he has really said some disgusting things about her, including spreading false rumors about her sex life. So there were a whole bunch of little other things that came out. Don't know what the jury's going to do. Seems pretty obvious to a normal human being that Mark Stein did not cause Michael Mann any damage given 12 years later, Michael Mann is a prince among all these climate change people that think that the earth is burning up. This is TNT climate and weather watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you've got. One in four Australian women experience domestic violence in their lifetime. Staying is dangerous, but leaving can mean homelessness for them and their children. With your generosity, the Salvos can provide crisis services and ongoing support, helping women find a way out of violence and a way back into a safe and stable life. Help us leave no one in need. Please donate to the Red Shield Appeal today. Misty Winston on today's News Talk Radio, TNT.
All right, we are here joined by Matthew Ho and Kelly Lane. We're talking about uh, the new series that they have, Candidates for Assange, where they invite uh, uh, different people running for office across the country uh, and, and, and invite them to a conversation about uh, supporting Julian Assange and further press freedom. And Matthew, you talked earlier a little bit about how, and I talk about this all the time because I think it's the biggest, to me, I think it's the most impactful thing that you can say about this case. And that is that it literally impacts everything, all of right. the things. It doesn't matter what you care about. It doesn't matter if you care about the environment or education or ending war or um, uh, corporate corruption. It does not matter. If you cannot speak, you cannot fight for anything that you care about. And I think so many people um, have been uh, distracted away from that. I think it's been made uh, uh, this situation where it's about Julian. It's about his personality. It's about whether or not he fed his cat. It's about Sweden. It's about all of these things that are a complete distraction away from what WikiLeaks is and does and what they provide to us. Um, and I think that uh, it's so, that's a little bit frustrating, but I think that we're starting to see um, a shift on that. And I think that that's what is so impactful about this particular issue is that it, it, it impacts each of us equally. And I think that's why we're seeing, as you guys have said, um, you've had uh, various different people on from all political ideologies. And I think the reason for that is that people are starting to recognize the way that it doesn't matter if you're a Democrat. It doesn't matter if you're a socialist. It doesn't matter if you're a libertarian or a green or a Republican. It doesn't matter. This issue impacts you just as much as the person standing next to you. And I think that um, uh, uh, that it's really a, a post-partisan issue, if you will, where, um, uh, again, it's this is it's, to me, it's the front line for every other fight that we face. Um, so, Matthew, can you speak a little bit to that? Because I know you've often spoken about that aspect of it as well. Obviously, you touched on it briefly earlier. But I really think we need to drive that point home because um, I just I don't think that the average American understands just how impactful this will be on not just Americans, but really the world. Right. Well, well first of all, on that last part about the world is we have to remember, of course, Julian Assange is not an American citizen. He's Australian. Right. And so yes. the United States is doing this in concert with other nations against a, a journalist who's not even American. So it is, it has a, 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 a very much a global approach. And the idea though, too, though, that only America will pursue this type of action is also something that is, you know, it just doesn't hold water. As we saw with Tucker Carlson's interview, interview of Vladimir Putin last night, when Tucker Carlson rightly asked about Evan Gerskovich, who's a journalist in prison in Russia, uh, for Russia to release him. And what Vladimir Putin essentially accused him of, his what he called espionage, was a journalist receiving classified information, which is basically what they're saying Julian Assange has done. I mean, so if people think it's kind of like drone warfare, if people thought that only the Americans are gonna use drones to kill people they don't like in an extradition manner, they are wrong. You know what I mean? So the, the idea too is that it is gonna affect everybody. And certainly uh, if a successful prosecution comes about, uh, you can expect to see the results of this not just be confined to the federal level, but to the local and state levels as well, because local and state governments will say this is an interest uh, of, the, of, of ours that has profound implications that it has to be kept from the public. You know, so, uh, you know, the idea that it would only be confined to national security interests at the federal level just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, as well, then the other aspect is that it will affect everybody. And I think wake up call should have been this past week when the IRS whistleblower who released the uh, tax returns for Donald Trump in the New York Times received five years in prison. I, I think that should be a wake up call that this will be used against 
whoever you are, whatever your political affiliation is, whatever your institutional affiliation, whatever your career, and certainly it doesn't matter if it was done uh, in the public interest or not, we will prosecute you, uh, we will prosecute you for it, and we will uh, be punitive in that, to make an example. And then the other aspect is that even if, even if you know, uh, the, the extradition is dropped and Julian is not uh, brought here to the United States, which we all, which we all hope, hope for, um, the idea, as you said before, that this is over is, is, is simply not the case. Uh, they will pursue this in other ways. And one of those is through the digital surveillance tools that are so utilized that we've known about for, for quite a while now that that uh, whether it was Thomas Tam back in the uh, uh, Bush administration who revealed the warrantless wiretapping, whether it was Ed Snowden, of course, uh, or Joshua Schulte, who just was sentenced to 40 years in prison for the CIA Vault 7 uh, releases, which told the world that, hey, look, the CIA can use your Samsung television to spy on you. Uh, I mean, so they have all those tools that we know about. And it, again, of course, I think it's, you know, a, a lot of us think, well, this is what we know about. What don't we know about? So what they have in their arsenal to continue this type of censorship, whether it be uh, active or passive, uh, certainly tells us that this is not something they're going to give up on if they're not successful in, in prosecuting Julian. No, of course not. I mean, listen, they have a whole a whole arsenal of ways that they can uh, censor us, silence us. Um, and you're right. I think that and we've already seen um, uh, the impacts of that. I think that we've seen I think it's at least two or three small town local newspapers be raided, right. be shut down right. over just, you know, local government stuff. Right. Like local drama. Right. Um, and they've uh, newspapers have been raided and things like that. And uh, that I, I say that all the time. It's the Assange effect. Um, once right. you start breaking down those walls and you break down those protections of press freedom it's very easy for that snowball to start rolling down that mountain and it's it, it's a, i mean uh, to use all of the cliches it's a very slippery slope um and i think that that's what i think is so um uh, it, as an activist it's a little frustrating because i feel like it's difficult to get that across to people i think that I think, generally speaking, free speech and press freedom are very abstract concepts. It's not as in your face as, like, I can't feed my family today, or I can't afford to take my kid to the doctor, or my car broke down and I can't afford to fix it. Those are all very in-your-face pressing issues, but I think that people um, are very passive in the way that they engage with uh, things like free press and press uh, or free speech, because um, it's just not something that they see. It's not something that they can notice that it's been... But these rights have been... Uh, this is not something new. They've been chipping away way at this stuff over time. And they do that because if they were to just come out tomorrow and be like, okay, nobody's allowed to speak freely anymore, obviously people would be upset about that. But so they just chip away uh, little by little. Um, and as you said, they start to institute those surveillance things and, you know, the Patriot Act and all of these other things that we know that they're doing. We know that the NSA is spying on us. Uh, they're probably listening right now. Everybody wave to the nice NSA agent who's monitoring this uh, show. Um, uh, it's that's, that's, that's just the reality of the situation. And I think that um, that that's kind of half the battle is just getting people to recognize that it's not this is not about Julian Assange. Uh, it's a, I mean, obviously, his life is worth fighting for and saving, but it is so much bigger than that. And I just think that that's the that's the part that I think people just aren't uh, aren't, aren't catching on to. So, OK, Kelly, let's let's talk about some of the candidates that you've had on, because you mentioned a couple of, of them, I think. But I, um, uh, I, I want to give credit where it's due, because um, any candidate who's willing to come forward and speak publicly about their support for Julian Assange needs to be given credit. Um, uh, and right. you've had some really fantastic uh, uh, names on. So uh, tell us a little bit about a couple of them. 
We have. Do you mind? I do want to say one thing about the Schulte yeah, case. Yeah, there yeah, are so ahead. many. There are so many other cases. It came yes. out in in that case that the Department of Justice is considering any attempt to like hide things, like um, like using mm -hmm. a VPN or whatever. As they're mm -hmm. starting to look at that as evidence of criminality. That should right. scare everyone to death. But yes. um, let's see, uh, so many great candidates already. I mean, just in three panels. Um, but another one last night, uh, Sean Doherty in California, who's running as a Green, he mentioned that he's seeing, he mentioned some figures. He said that 50% of people that voted for Joe Biden in 2020 are now not supporting him because of the Gaza issue. And, you know, I mean, everyone has their thing that maybe broke it open where they could see, pull back the curtain and start to see what's really going on. And I think for, for me and a lot of us, maybe it was after Bernie ran, but everyone's got their issue that, that causes them to wake up. So maybe that is, that is hopeful. And he, he said, he mentioned a Democrat that is now supporting him. Um, but gosh, we've had an independent in Colorado, uh, Katrina, remember her last name, we, we just so many, and they are from all different parties, but they are kind of saying similar things. So, yeah, I mean, we just will continue to reach out to the Democrats as well and hope that we can get them on board. Uh, but <laughs> good luck. <laughs> it's not easy. It's not easy. I, I just keep sending more and more evidence, but you know, there is just so much to unpack and yeah. you have to first get through dispelling all the myths and, you know, go into the rape case and all of that. So, you know, yeah, yeah that's what I think that that's what's so hard about Democrats. And I think it's because the wounds are so for them are so recent. I mean, uh, before 2016, Republicans didn't really like Julian Assange because he revealed the war crimes of George W. Bush and they didn't like that very much. And then 2016 came around and suddenly Republicans love Julian Assange because he embarrassed Hillary Clinton uh, and now Democrats hate him. And again, I think that's what's, I mean, I, 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 I hate to circle back to this, but it's just so frustrating. The um, just blatant tribalism in our political system where um, it's mm -hmm. not about principles. It's not about what's right. It's not about uh, being consistent. It's about my team, right? Oh, you, if, if my team does right. it, it's fine. But if the other team right. does it, we got to shut that down. Like that's not okay. Um, and that's just very frustrating. So Democrats have, yeah. um, uh, have been an issue on, on the Assange thing for uh, ever since 2015, 2016. So um, uh, hopefully, well, and I, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, no. A another thing I heard a lot of is, well, why didn't he just go through the proper channels? Oh. I hear that constantly. <laughs> and so I found, I found a great Kiriakou clip that I think summed it all up, you know, and he was like, I tried to go through the proper channels. They and, all do. You know, yeah, yeah, they all do. And people are kind of surprised by that. So, yeah. Well, I mean, and also we need to point out that Julian Assange is not a whistleblower. He has no proper channels. He's a journalist. So yes. if he is given information that is verifiable, authenticated and in the public interest, his proper channel is to publish. That's it. That is his job. Right, and right. so I think that there's a lot of confusion about that. I think we I often see him um, lumped in with whistleblowers, which I think mm -hmm. is not necessarily wrong because he is a champion of whistleblowers. He's somebody that publishes leaks that are provided to him from whistleblowers, but he himself is not a whistleblower. He is a journalist. Um, and I think that that, uh, that, that separates, differentiates him and, uh, and the way that whistleblowers are treated. There are no proper channels for Julian Assange other than is this information accurate and in the public interest? Yes. Check both those boxes publish. That's, that's it. Mm -hmm. Those are the 
only mm-hmm. channels that he needs to that he's required to meet. So um, uh, I, that's uh, I'm glad that you brought that up because that is a very important distinction to make that um, he is not a whistleblower. That is that we need to be very clear about that. He is a journalist. And I think that that mm-hmm. uh, definitely makes the uh, the situations different for him. But yeah, I mean, listen, every whistleblower, that maybe not every, but most whistleblowers that I have studied or read about or talked to, they all attempt to go through the proper channels first. And it is when those proper channels, um, uh, you know, don't work out for them and there's no action being taken that they uh, go to the media. And that's usually why uh, people like that go to the media because they're left with no other options. So um, Matthew, uh, how are you going to run? Uh, do you guys think you're going to run this as long as you can, as as, as, as long as you can get people to come on? Um, are you going to run it all the way through the election? What's the, what's the plan for this series? <laughs> Well, I, I love this because I get all the credit for being the co-host and I do almost none of the work. Kelly does everything. <laughs> Kelly's, Kelly's baby. And like, I just, I just pop on and like, you know, say, you know, but so I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm grateful to be a part of it, but I, I certainly uh, think we will. I mean, there are enough candidates out there. Um, and as this grows and as we get more exposure and as we get, you know, a couple thousand more viewers uh, each week, you know, and it keeps building, um, I think the desire for other, the, the, the interest of other candidates will be there. Uh, yeah. You know, once we've shown that, hey, look, people are, are paying attention to this. And then, you know, there's no, no, no harm in, in having candidates come back on. Another time for for a lot of of candidates, this is a very uh, 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 this is something they are passionate about. Particularly if they can find a way to to, to explain how this ties into other issues, other things they care about, you know, as well as just, hey, look, again, it's it, it's First Amendment and as well as Fourth Amendment uh, uh, survival we're talking about here. That's not hyperbole. We're talking about the survival of the First Amendment, and we've already seen the, the Fourth Amendment utterly uh, debased. Uh, so I think there are a lot of candidates who are going to continue uh, to want to be a part of this because it speaks to, I think, the reasons why many of them are running. Right. Because yeah. they're running because they 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 want to change the system. They understand that there's an ideal of what we can be as a country. There are these you know, there's this constitution, which far from perfect. But you know what? At least don't let them tear apart what we have as, as far from perfect as it is. It's still better than what the powers that be want us to have you know they're trying to take these things away from us so they can't you know the constitution can't be that bad if they're trying to tear it apart and take it away from us so i think that type of 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 passion comes through in some of these candidates and yeah as long as 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 long as kelly wants to keep doing this i'll keep doing with her and hopefully we'll have you know many many more uh, opportunities for candidates to come on and, and speak out in defense of of julian assange and to stand by the the idea that journalism is not a crime Yes. And I also think that there's, oh, go ahead, Kelly, please. No, I've had several people ask me, well, what about presidential candidates? And I respond with, at this point right now, we really want to, it's power in numbers and we want to focus on the congressional candidates. And I worry that having, you know, any one particular presidential candidate on might sort of like tilt it too much one way or the other. So that's another yeah. question I've gotten a lot, you know, yeah. because some no, candidates have, yeah, some have spoken out in defense of Assange and I, you know, I'm not really sure if every, all of them really mean it, you know, so, I agree. but at any rate, <laughs> um, we're just no, keeping I agree. it with, I agree. 
And yeah. I think that there's so, also the potential here too that as you continue these and as you have more of these conversations that each of these candidates will feel even more emboldened and even more educated and more comfortable discussing it. So as Matthew yeah. just said, even having people like return guests on, I think that that will just increase their um, uh, capacity to have those conversations with their voters. Um, and I think that that can only do good things. Um, uh, okay, Kelly, we have about a minute left. How can people contact you if they are running for office and they would like to come on? Well, we've got at candidates for Assange on, on Twitter um, for, sorry, at candidates for ASSA. And I'm in process of get, doing a TikTok channel as well. Um, we've got a Facebook channel and then YouTube um, also. So awesome. probably Twitter is well, If anybody the best is place. running for office out there and you support Julian Assange and the future of press freedom, please reach out. Please contact Kelly or Matthew or myself. I can help get you in contact with them. If you would like to appear on the show, uh, definitely do that. We need as many voices as possible. Thank you both so much for coming on and for doing this. It's uh, I think it's going to be uh, great for uh, Assange. So as Julian Assange says, learn, challenge, act now, and don't go anywhere. Timothy Shea after this on TNT.